signs of blood destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. Yes, I'm laughing. Kelly Whitworth, the producer, made a joke. She told me to roll my shoulders. And I said, that's exercise. I don't do exercise. There is a limit to what I'll do. If you wonder what anarchism is all about, no, it's not about not doing exercise. It's about being involved in a cultural, ideological, political campaigns to create a society without rulers, not without rules. What gives rulers the ability to uh, determine the lives of billions of people? Simply inequalities in power and wealth. That's right, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very, very unradical concepts, you know. One world, one people, looking after each other. Very wishy-washy, isn't it? But that's the way it is. We are wishy-washy here on the Anarchist World this week. Now, I'd like to start off the program by making a few comments about uh, John Moses Lawrence. And now, most people in Victoria or in Melbourne and uh, Ballarat would uh, know John Moses Lawrence, but maybe many of our interstate listeners would ne- have never heard of John. Now, John died about a week ago, unexpectedly. Uh, he was uh, just turned uh, 70. And John had a very colourful, remarkable life. He was a foundation member almost 50 years ago of the Rebels Motorcycle Gang. He was an active trade unionist, a brilliant carpenter, building his mother's uh, last home when he'd retired. He was a permanent fixture at the bar, which he built at uh, Ballarat's Trades Hall. A well-known anarchist in uh, anarchist circles. He had, the nickname, he had the nickname Moses because he actually looked like Moses parting the seas. He was a foundation member of the Reclaim of the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations which have been held in Ballarat for the past 20 years and which will be held again uh, this Saturday on the 3rd of December. He was a instrumental in creating the West Papuan Wren Collective and was a great supporter of uh, West Papuan independence, being pro- involved in uh, the flag-raising ceremony at Ballarat Trades Hall 
on the uh, 1st of December. He had a chequered life like most of us. He had feet of clay and he flew like an angel. So most of us, like most of us, he was a devil and a god in his own way. Uh, We remember John and uh, the celebrations which will be held in Ballarat on the 3rd of December to mark the 168th anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion will be dedicated to uh, John's memory. So rest in peace, John Moses Lawrence. I think in your 70 years, you made a great contribution to radical activity. He was a man who was a great believer in direct action and also an ardent conservationist. Rest in peace, John Moses Lawrence. Unfortunately, as you grow older, all the people you've known, and I knew John for over 30 years, all the people you've worked with get sick. They die. But they leave a legacy. And that legacy is the struggles they were involved in, both successful and failures, the fact that they did give a shit, the fact that they tried to change things, the fact that they never gave up. And I think that's the mark of a great activist, whether they're publicly acknowledged or not. Also, John was also a recipient of the, uh, the uh, Eureka Australia Medal a number of years ago. Rest in peace, John Moses Lawrence. Now, while I'm talking about the Eureka celebrations, this Saturday, that's right, this Saturday in Ballarat, starting at 4am, that's correct, 4am to 6am, at the Dawn Ceremony Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stool Street in Ballarat. This year, the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebration Group has teamed up with Ballarat and Western Region Trades Hall to continue these celebrations. Unfortunately, many of our Foundation members have now died. Many of the people we've been involved with over the years are are quite sick and no longer able to participate or attend, but are there in spirit. And it's important that uh, Ballarat and the Western Region Trades Hall, which we've had a great association with over the last decade, uh, begin to take over these uh, celebrations slowly, you know, responsibility be transferred, transferred to them in order that something is happening that reclaims the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion in Ballarat on the 3rd of September. Now, Ballarat is a city which has always had a conflicting views regarding the Eureka Rebellion. And the current batch of uh, councillors uh, have continued the great tradition, in inverted commas, of not flying the Eureka flag on the main flagpole on the Ballarat uh, uh, City Hall on the 3rd of December. Could you imagine that? If on Anzac Day somebody refused, some entity refused to fly the uh, Australia flag... Think about it. Shows no respect whatsoever for what not only the people who died, but the continuing legacy of the Eureka Rebellion. As I said, there's the dawn ceremony. Look, you don't have to book for any of this. You just turn up. It's a simple process. 
You just turn up, and it's participation that's important. I mean, some years we have huge crowds, some years we have small crowds. I mean, I'm a great believer as an activist that you work with what you got. There's no point bitching about the fact that this has happened or that has happened. You work with what you got, and if there is one person there to mark the day, to mark a particular event, to be involved in a particular struggle, it highlights that that event is still alive. So the dawn ceremony from 4am to 6am. From 6am to 8am, a communal breakfast down there at Eureka Park. You need to bring your own food and drinks. That's right. There's no catering. We don't cater. We actually organise the events. We provide the opportunity for people to become involved. Once you start getting involved in catering and you start charging people, it becomes it becomes an event, you know, another event. This is about participation. At 10am, we were presenting six Eureka Australia medals at Bakery Hill. That's 10am to 11am. So you don't have to attend all the stations of Eureka, as we call it, but pick and choose what you like. Some people come to the dawn ceremony and don't go to anything else. Others go to the Eureka Australia medal presentations at Bakery Hill. And why Bakery Hill? That's where the Eureka Oath was taken on the 29th of November, 1854. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. From 11.30am to 12.30pm, we'll be will be congregating at the old Ballarat Cemetery at the Eureka Mass Grave to pay our respects to those who were buried there and those who died who were not buried in the Mass Grave. It's quite a moving moment. Um, we encourage you to bring flowers to place on the grave. Some years we found that there is nothing there officially, but we want we encourage you to bring some flowers to place on the grave. Then from there we'll be moving on to the Ballarat Trades Hall at 24 Camp Street in Ballarat near the Art Gallery and for a light lunch which will be provided by Ballarat Trades Hall. And then at 3pm to 4pm I'll be doing a presentation about the history of the Eureka flag at the Eureka Centre which is down there again in um, Eureka Park. And the great thing about coming to Ballarat on the 3rd of December is that there is free entry to the Eureka Centre and you can actually, you know, not just listen to what I have to say but obviously you can swan around and see what's going on and maybe you can you want to buy some stuff from the Eureka shop. And then from 6pm onwards, we're having the annual Eureka Dinner at the Queenshead Hotel at 146 Humphrey Street in Ballarat East. No bookings necessary. So just turn up to any of these things. The dawn ceremony at 4am, communal breakfast at 6am, the Eureka Australia Day medal presentations at Baker Hill at 10am, remembrance ceremony at the old Ballarat Cemetery at the Eureka Mass Grave at 11.30am, light lunch at Ballarat Trades Hall at 1pm, history of the Eureka flag 3pm, and the uh, annual Eureka Dinner, which has been reinstated after a few years' hiatus. So it's there, it's open, it's up to you. We will not be marching from site to site at this stage. 
but we'll be going from site to site to site. So if you do have a vehicle, it'd be nice if you could actually uh, fill it up with uh, people without vehicles so you could take them to the different uh, stations of the Eureka celebrations. If you can't make it this year, there's always next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. As, as I said before, we have now made an association with Ballarat and Western Region Trades Hall and hopefully over the next few years we'll be able to transfer the running of this event to them. As I said before, as you've seen with John Lawrence, one of our instigators of the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, that many of our members have died over the last few years, many are very sick, and it's important that uh, irrespective of whether we're here or not, we continue to mark the principles inherent in the Eureka Rebellion. Direct action, direct democracy, solidarity and internationalism. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, a lot of people ask... Well, a few. <laughs> don't need to exaggerate on the anarchist world this week. There's enough exaggeration in the world today. Now, a few people have asked me how the Toscana for Mulgrave uh, of, you know, um, state election campaign has uh, wandered on. Look, we were involved in the campaign for one very good reason, to put forward policies to the left of the Labor Party. And... Unfortunately, in this campaign, the amount of support I was able to generate through the web, through this program and a few other things, was minimal. So the first thing I'd like to do is, is uh, thank all those people who are involved in those campaign. The people who letterboxes, the people who turned up at pre-polling booths and the people who turned up on the election on the 26th of November. I mean, without their help, uh, the ability to get these ideas across would have been minimal. It was only a handful of people in some situations, up to a dozen in others with the letterboxing campaign, but the important thing is, without their help, nothing would have changed. Did we have an impact? I doubt it. But there were some interesting experiences which I'd like to share today and then I'd like to analyse the results because I think it's very important that we actually analyse the results of the Victorian election because it does have implications for all of us. I was surprised that on a number of occasions uh, relatively young people, many from a um, foreign background, came up to me after voting and actually thanked me personally for being there and for putting policies which put the satisfaction of human needs before the constant construction blitz were involved on. And I found that very heartening because you don't normally see that, very heartening. It was also heartening to see how many people took literature, much more than I'm used to, especially, you know, on election day. So that was very heartening. So there is an appetite for change. There is an appetite. What was incredibly tedious and putrid was the behaviour of many of the so-called micro-parties 
and one independent at the at the Mulgrave campaign. I have never come across in my life, and I've been around for 70 plus one years, I have never come across so much racist, so much anti-vax sentiment, so many lies, so much disinformation, so much misinformation, so much harassment of potential electors. To say it was putrid experience is an understatement. On some days I felt like I needed to have a ideological, cultural bath. It was just an extraordinary experience. The only good thing about it is the electors of Mulgrave and the electors of Victoria saw through it and they weren't swayed by the mass of people who congregated around the pre-polling booth in Mulgrave trying to promote an agenda which I think has nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with human liberation. The results itself, the results itself aren't as exciting as people think. Because, see, in a parliamentary system, it's the person with the most votes and preferences who gets into parliament. That does not really reflect what's happening in the community. Let's not forget, although the Australian Labor Party had what is described as a resounding victory as far as parliamentary seats is concerned, that only about 36, 37% of Victorians gave their vote to the Labor Party. Another 34, 35% gave their vote to the Liberal National Party and another 11 to 12% gave their vote to the Greens and about 17 to 18% voted for other or minor parties. So there is a great restlessness in the community. The fact that the Australian, the Victorian community rejected that racist, misogynist, it was more than that, anti-vax agenda is a positive. But the great unknown was the fact that the Labor Party has lost, to a significant degree, much of the support it has and continues to had in the west and north of Melbourne. While the National Party has been able to basically take over every seat in regional and rural Victoria, pushing out three independents in Mildura, in Shepparton and in Morwell. So we are seeing a division between Melbourne and regional cities, like, uh, which is really extensions of Melbourne like Geelong, Ballarat and Bendigo and the rest of the state. And we are seeing a division between north of the Arra to s- excluding the CBD and south of the era. 
Now, those people who are excited about the Green vote, the fact is the Green vote didn't, wasn't much higher than it was four years ago. But the difference is that the Liberal Party preferenced the Greens in the inner city in an attempt to dislodge the ALP, thinking that they would pick up seats in the east and south of the Arrow. And the preference flows, which usually resulted in the uh, election of extreme right-wing candidates like the uh, Liberal Democrats, has changed. So the left got organised. So any lessons? Well, the first lesson is, and a very important lesson is, we are not dealing with basic human needs. The Labor Party has become a party which has been captured by corporations, especially construction-based corporations. So it's no surprise that it's lost support in the north and the west of Melbourne where the need for food security, housing security, energy security education, public education, public health and even recreation, which I raised, is a significant issue for people. I mean, if you do have the ability to travel around Melbourne, I I, I encourage you to travel and see the differences in this city. Just extraordinary. So this is not a, a victory for progressive politics. This is a victory for corporate capitalism. It's a victory, to some degree, for issue-orientated politics. But it is not a victory in terms of devolving power and sharing wealth, which are the things that we as anarchists are interested in, which we promote, which we support. So what is the motto? Business as usual. Business as usual. More privatisation. More cosy deals with the corporate sector. More construction for construction's sake. And I found it incredible that our own Prime Minister, Mr Albanese, does not seem to understand the difference between public housing, affordable housing, social housing, and whatever they like to call it these days. I mean, he made this big big announcement that this was a victory for public housing. It is not a victory for public housing. The Victorian LP, now confident that it will be in power for the next four years, will continue to go ahead with its privatisation of the public housing agenda. Its big build is nothing more than a transfer of the responsibility to provide housing to the most necessary, the most exploited people in society to the private sector. It has nothing to do with building up the public housing. And one fascinating thing about the election campaign in Victoria was the lack of interest, the lack of debate, the lack of canvassing the idea of public housing. So if you do live in Melbourne, you're interested in the public housing struggle, we'll continue to hold our public housing, everybody's business vigils on the steps of Victorian Parliament House from midday to 1pm every Thursday till the 22nd of December and then we'll recommence them 
next month. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Satellite. My name is Joseph Toscan. I'm hosting today's program. Interested in these ideas? You can join public interest before corporate interest. Go to the website, pibci.net. You actually you can actually join online. It's very simple. If you're not in, you're not online, that's fine. We can send you out an application form. Because there's one thing I understood, and people need to understand about the elections, is that political parties, the system is designed in such a way as to preference political parties before independence, and that's why we've seen the demise of the independents in this election. There may be one independent that'll get up, possibly, in the seat of Mornington, and that's it in the whole of Victoria. No independents in the upper house. All political parties of the 88 seats in the lower house, 87 will be, and possibly 88 will be political parties. So that's the idea of having public interest before corporate interests to create a political party which can take part in elections which is willing to raise the issues of the satisfaction of basic human needs before other issues. So you can go to their website, pibci.net, join online. If you want an application form, 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Give us a ring. As I said before at the beginning of the program, we can only work with the support supporters we have. We can't do any more. We can't do any less. Now, it's interesting. Now, I know you're not that interested in Taiwanese elections, but you need to be. Because Taiwan, not Ukraine, is the potential real hotspot as the Chinese government of the Chinese Communist Party attempts to reintegrate the island of Taiwan back into China. Now, although there are over 1 point, I think 1.3 or 1.4 billion people living in China and 25 million people living in Taiwan, we as a country are going all the way with the USA as far as Taiwan is concerned. And the heavy military build-up in North Australia, and there has been a heavy military build-up, and our total support for US foreign policy, as I said before, makes Northern Australia especially a potential target in any flare-up in conflict between the USA and China, where they use the people of Taiwan as their proxy proxy warriors. Now, interestingly, over on, on Saturday, there was not just an election in Victoria, but there was a very important election in Taiwan, a local government election. And there are two main forces in Taiwan. There's the Democratic People's Party, which is currently in charge of Taiwan, which was elected by the Taiwanese people. And there's the Al Kuomintang, which were the remnants of the rebel, remnants of the government, which escaped to Taiwan in 1949 when the Chinese Communist Party took over. And they usually do battles. Now, the Democratic People's Party is the party that has really been pushing the idea of confrontation with China. Well, the Kuomintang is more interested in 
business relationships, because it is a corporate-based party, trade trying to decrease the level of uh, hostility. And guess what? The Democratic People's Party was routed, especially in Taipei, which holds about half of Taiwan's population, at the recent local elections, which basically means the people in Taiwan do not want to be cannon fodder in a proxy war between the United States and China. They've seen what's happening in the Ukraine, and although people, you know, may, you know, jump up and down about, say, you know, victories or whatever, Ukraine, as a centre of this proxy war between Russia and the United States, is suffering a huge casualty, not just in people as well as infrastructure, huge casualties. So obviously the people of Taiwan, seeing what's happening in the Ukraine, do not want to find themselves in this war where they will be, they will be the people who will bear the brunt of the destruction and death which will occur in such a confrontation. So it's interesting to see how, when push comes to shove, that the people of Taiwan have rejected that proposal, and this means possibly a de-escalation in the confrontation between Taiwan and China, and maybe they'll be able to work out some type of uh, policy which accommodates both their desires. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming. Live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And there's a, number, a lot of other things. I mean, we do a lot of internet stuff. I don't know if it's worth the effort. You can go, you can go to Joseph Toscana, which is my Facebook page, and see what's happening. You can go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pibci, P-I-B-C-I.net, which is a web page. You can go anarchistmedia.org. You can go to my YouTube, well, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. Go Just put Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. And the list goes on and on. But the fact is that it doesn't matter how many times you push a like button and how much crap or interesting stuff you see on social media. The reality is that unless you become active in activities on the ground, nothing will ever change. And that's the key. Nothing ever changes without active participation. Let's move on. Now, this is the Anarchist World this week, and I'm sure you're all sick and tired of me telling you this is what it is, and it's been broadcast from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, and it's been broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, in order to, one, pay our bills here at 3CR, and two, and this is the more important thing, actually get people more involved, listeners more involved, maybe even on a social setting, and especially listeners from uh, interstate, we've now got an Anarchist World This Week 3CR T-shirt. That's right, maybe once we get rid of these 100 T-shirts, we'll get a... uh, 
Anarchist World This Week Community Radio Network T-shirt. I think that's that's our, that should be our next step. So, for a bit of fun, on the 21st of December, because it's been a long year, a lot of people have been involved in a lot of activity with uh, minimal reward, let's be realistic. We are encouraging people to form a flash mob. That's right, a flash mob outside the studios of 3CR in Melbourne at the end of the program at 11am on Wednesday the 21st of December, which is three weeks away. But there's only one criteria. You need to be wearing an Anarchist World This Week 3CR T-shirt to be part of the flash mob. Now, if you ain't got an Anarchist World This Week T-shirt... You can turn up on the day and buy one. That's right, you can buy one. And they do cost $35. You can buy one on the net. You go to 3cr.org.au and you'll find it there. Why $35? I can hear you say, I can walk into any corporate store and buy a $10 T-shirt or a $6 T-shirt. Well, one... It's a limited edition of 100. But most, more importantly, I know this sounds a little bit fanciful, but the actual T-shirt itself was made in Australia with unionised Australian labour. Could you imagine that? The T-shirt was printed in Australia with unionised Australian labour. Now, half of the $35 goes towards the cost of the T-shirt. And the other half, after the original, after 50 is sold, well, and the other half actually goes to, yeah, half goes to the cost of the T-shirt and half goes to paying my bills here at the Anarchist World this week because although you hear the program on the Community Radio Network, We don't get government grants. We don't ask for government grants. We broadcast what we like during the program. Once you start accepting grants of any type, you find that what you say and don't say is limited. So the anarchist world this week is totally independent. Because we live in a capitalist society, things cost money. So make have a great day. After the flash mob, we'll take lots of pickies. We'll wander down to the uh, Paramount in Little Burke Street for uh, a communal lunch. Again, you buy your own food and drinks. We don't cater for anybody. So think about it. A great way of meet, meeting like-minded activists. A great way of promoting the anarchist world this week because... Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. Who else? Who else is going to promote this program? Do you think the corporate-owned media will? You should have seen the garbage which was peddled out by the corporate-owned media during the Victorian election campaign. Extraordinary garbage. If you want to get brain damage, watch Fox News. And you will see the extent of the debate which is going on in this country today. A debate which is based on misinformation, 
disinformation, hatred and division. West Papua. Now, West Papua is still there, all right? It hasn't gone away. Now, I'm the convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective and over the last eight and a half years we've been able to raise enough money every month, courtesy of members of the West Papuan Rent Collective, to keep the West Papuan office open. It's just not an office in Melbourne. The West Papuan community has minimal support. Minimal support in this country. Minimal support overseas. And the West Papuan office in Collins Street in Melbourne acts as an organising hub for activity around the world. In many regards, it's like a de facto embassy. The West Papuan office is headed by Dr Jacob Rumbiak, who is the West Papuan government's foreign minister. That's right. Now, Jacob was in prison for over a decade. He was tortured. He was shot before he was imprisoned. A great guerrilla leader. And on the 11th of December at 1pm... We'll be holding a West Papuan lunch. If you're a West Papuan rent collective member, free. Otherwise, we ask for a donation of some type. And there's a launch of uh, books, which I'll talk about uh, next week. And there's the West Papuan rent collective auction. And at this auction, this for December, we've got four pieces to date. We have two David McKenzie handmade recycle timber stools and the Reverend Robert Stringer who's spent many years in West Papua has donated a West Papua shirt and a piece of West Papua cloth to be uh, auctioned but more importantly than the auction itself is the need for rent collective members so if you have a difficult aunt a difficult uncle you don't know what to buy them well why don't you buy them a year's subscription to the West Papuan Rent Collective? 365 bucks. that's a dollar a day. I'm sure they'll be excited about the fact they're supporting the West Papuan liberation struggle. And let's not forget that uh, on the 2nd of December, if you are in Melbourne, is the 61st anniversary of the Morning Star fl- flag and there's a social night for fl- West Papua at Black Spark at 7pm on Friday the 2nd of December. So let's let's keep thinking about it. I mean, West Papua is less than 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. 70 kilometres. Over half a million people have died directly and indirectly because of Indonesian colonisation. There are less than 1.2 million people in West uh, West Papuans in West Papua. Through an active transmigration program, there are almost more Indonesians in West Papua today than West Papuans. There is one soldier, that's right, one soldier in West Papua, over 240,000 posted in West Papua, for every adult male 
Could you imagine that if you're wandering down your local town or local city and you would see one soldier there for every adult male in your town or in your city? If you don't call that a military occupation, what do you call it? And why West Park was so important to the Indonesian government? Because of the mineral wealth it holds. And in a time of a climate emergency, the West Papuan provisional government has stated quite clearly that it is happy to stop the Indonesian-led deforestation program which is turning much of West Papua into an ecological wilderness. Think about it. Join the Rent Collective. If you can't join the Rent Collective, make a one-off donation. Come and join us on the 11th of December. That's Sunday at 1pm. I'll mention it again next week. It's 838 Collins Street. You just walk around the back and, hey, presto, that's where all the activity is. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. And finally... In the last 10 or 15 minutes, I'd like to talk about the current private investment nightmare. Now, I'm fascinated by the concept of, uh, you know, private investment for private profit mantra. That seems to be more important than people's religious, social, cultural affiliations. I mean, it is the glue that holds Australian society together. It's the glue that divides us. It's the glue that ensures that in 2022, 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent cannot provide homes for all its people. It's the glue which forces private charities to raise money to send Australian kids to public schools which are theoretically publicly funded. It is the glue that ensures that we continue to have a second-rate health system where there's no reason why we shouldn't have a first-rate health system. And we're currently told that we need private investment. That's right. We need private investment in order to develop the society. An era of privatisation where the Commonwealth Bank, the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, uh, um, telecom, the ports, the airports and many other uh, essential energy facilities have been privatised across the country. You can understand why the private investment for private profit mantra has become the one and only mantra which is spouted by politicians of all political persuasions, and we saw that once again, not just during the federal election, but through the recent um, Victorian state election. That's what we see. That's what we see. That's the mantra. So what's wrong with the concept of public investment? You know, a classical case is what we are seeing today regarding gas prices and the federal government's um, ability to control gas prices. Now, what we have done in this country 
we have allowed this country's gas resources to be privately owned, privately managed, creating private profits, and we rely on wages to workers and sometimes royalties and taxes on their profits to give a little bit back to the Australian people. Now, everybody's talking about a price cap on gas so that businesses won't go bankrupt in this country and that energy costs won't escalate. But I'll tell you what the problem is. We have a privatised system. You put a private, you put a uh, government gas price, fixed price on gas, what do you think the foreign corporations will do who actually own the extraction sites? Well, they will sell the gas to the highest bidder, which could be an overseas customer. And then even if they don't sell to an overseas customer and they accept the fact that they're going to they're going to have a haircut as far as their profits is concerned, how about all the other privately owned facilities which distribute the gas, those that own the pipelines, those that act as retail outlets? Do you think they're going to pass on those cuts? So we find ourselves in a particularly fascinating situation in 2022. Although we have extraordinary amount of natural resources in this country and we only have 25 million people, we continue to be bedeviled with problems which affect 80 to 90% of the population irrespective of whether they accept, whether they acknowledge it or not. Problems regarding housing affordability, problems regarding health care, problems regarding access to education, problems regarding infrastructure. And all these problems can be laid at the feet of private corporate, of governments, let's blame, of governments which we have elected and which we have supported allowing these resources which belong to all of us, which belong to First Nations people and the rest of us, to be owned, managed by corporations who in the majority of cases send profits offshore. End of story. End of story. And that's why we find ourselves in this difficult situation. Now think of this. Think of this. If these gas resources were actually owned by the people of Australia through a nationalisation program, you could turn on and off the tap whenever you like. How about private investment? You don't need private investment. Maybe if you're a country with no resources and no way of raising capital to develop and manage your resources, maybe you need private investment in a capitalist society. But even in a capitalist society, you don't need private investment to actually access, develop natural resources. The material is there. It is owned by the Crown, theoretically by us. It is owned by us. Why can't we actually 
as we've done in the past with the Commonwealth Bank, with Telstra, with centralised energy sources, why can't we actually own and manage? So that when change is needed, like change is needed to deal with the climate emergency, because the facilities are publicly owned, well, that change can occur. Now, the Victorian state government has finally realised there is no point leaving energy to the private sector. And they're talking about, and the key word is talking, about creating a public renewable energy sector. We don't need... Now, if the gas was publicly owned, we wouldn't be talking about a price cap and this and that because it could be used for our own needs. So it's the private investment mantra which is causing so much damage. And I'm not going to use words like the economy, but it's causing so much damage to individuals and communities in our society. I'll give you an example. Why, if you can grow a pumpkin in your backyard, why would you outsource the growing of that pumpkin to somebody else? We as 25 million people can actually resource through our taxation system and through maybe the introduction of new taxes, we can actually resource and pay and own the development of those resources. I mean, the people of Norway, I wouldn't call them raging anarchists, communists or socialists, have been doing this for decades. Where they may have allowed a private company to develop, but the return they get is extraordinary compared to the return we get. And we're not getting any return. For the next 35 years, all this gas infrastructure which has been built around this country's shorelines, there will be no return to the Australian taxpayer apart from possibly taxation revenue from the people working on these sites. No return from these corporations. None whatsoever. While they're making billions of dollars of profit. I mean, sometimes I think I'm an idiot. Well, not think, no, I'm an idiot. You'd have to be an idiot to support such a system. You would have to be an idiot to support such a system. It's a little bit like, you know, you stumble on a bit of gold and you say, oh, I'm going to give it to you. You can make it into a piece of bullion and you can keep all the money from that. And you can give me 5% back. It's ludicrous, totally ludicrous. As I keep saying, the private investment for private profit mantra is not fit for human consumption. Age care, child care, NDIS, housing, health, education, more and more public resources are being pumped into private organisations to provide services, in inverted commas, for the Australian people at an extraordinary price. At an extraordinary price. 
40 to 50% of every Australian taxpayer's dollar that goes to a private corporation to assist, you know, assist a private corporation to provide a service is lost in administration cost. Lost. Lost. And profits. At least, if something is publicly owned, it provides essential services. And if you make a profit from those essential services, well, that profit can be reinvested in those essential services. And if you don't make a profit, you can actually at least provide those essential services and actually cover the cost for a taxation system. Simple. But we've been seduced. We have been seduced by the private investment for private profit mantra. We have been seduced every day of our life, thinking that this is the only way that society can function. Think about it. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can join public interest before corporate interest. Go to pipsy.pibci.net. Once again, I'd like to remind people about uh, the Eureka celebrations on the 3rd of December from 4am to 9pm on Saturday, the 3rd of December. Just go to the webpage or go to the Facebook page and it will all be there. See you there on Saturday. Um, also, don't forget the West Papuan uh, Rent Collective due on the 11th of December. Information's all there. But the important thing is, as we approach the end of 2022, the important thing is that the Anarchist World this week, unlike many other programs, will not be closing down. This is not the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Community Radio Network. We'll continue to be broadcasting uh, during this time. So um, it's good that you've been uh, listening to... Well, I don't know if it's good for you. It may be good for you, may not be good for you. But thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week. If there's one lesson you can take from this uh, conversation, one-way conversation, obviously, because you can't talk to me, (laughs) there's one lesson you can take is, look, you want change, you need to be active. The Toscano for Mulgrave campaign, and once again I'd like to thank all those people who have assisted us, taught me that you can only do as much as the support you can generate in the community. And if there is no support, there's minimal activity you can do as an individual. It's when individuals come together that we have the capacity to change things. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.